Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I am your fearless host, Paul Oren. You can catch me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can catch Union Street Hoops on NWI.com and all sorts of different podcast hosting areas, Apple Pods, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, all over the place. Check it out. But go to NWI.com and check out the podcast there and see the uh, the nifty Omni uh, podcast player that we've got. It's pretty awesome, right? We're having a good time with this. So thank you, as always, for listening. we got a jam-packed episode for you here. Coming up in a little bit, Mark LaBarbera will join us, the Valparaiso Athletic Director director of athletics, depending on what kind of AP style guide you're using. Mark LaBarber will join us for about a half hour to talk all things Valpo, namely this NCAA decision that was just made about spring semester athletes getting an additional year of eligibility. It's fascinating. It's a good thing. It's the right decision, right? It's the right decision. These athletes really only got to play a a little bit of their season, if much at all. Um, And so they're getting an additional year. It's the right thing to do. Now, the winter athletes didn't get anything. Basketball players didn't get anything. And that's also the right thing to do, in my opinion. There's no reason to give Ryan Fazekas or John Kaiser an additional year of eligibility. They played out most of their season, right? Now, I think about the women's basketball team that got pulled off the floor while they were at practice for their conference tournament. But I've talked to one of the seniors on that team, and and they basically said, like, I can't do this another year, you know? Um is it tough for guys like maybe like Cassius Winston at Michigan State who came back to try to win a national championship? It's unfortunate. It really, it truly is. But a lot of these guys are going to go pro, right? So then I think about the guys, you know, it's just, it's it's hard, right? Like, how are you going to grant another year of eligibility when you've played 98% of your season, if not 100%, right? Like, so are we giving all the Evansville and Illinois State players an additional year? Uh, no, we're not. We're not getting anybody an additional year. The season, by and large, was was well completed. Obviously, it didn't. we didn't get March Madness, which plays a financial role in a lot of things. And Mark LaBarbera will talk a lot about that. We'll talk about the finances. We'll talk about the 41 seniors at Valpo who have got decisions to make now. They they can come back, sure, but but they can't really all come back, can they? Like the baseball team's got 12 seniors. If all 12 come back, they don't have enough jerseys for next year. They don't have enough lockers for next year with all the incoming players that they have. There's going to be some tough conversations, I'm sure, that are going to happen, and it will be fascinating to see how this plays out. There was one big answer that was given on Monday, and I think you'll find out from the conversation with Mark LaBarbera that there are many more questions that still remain. And then to to wrap up the podcast later on, we've got a, a great, great interview with, uh, with, again, one of my favorite athletes from the area, Stephen Helm, who walked on on the Valpo basketball team, but he was a, he had to sit out because he transferred from Carroll College. And um, then he went on a two-year Mormon mission. And so... He uh, uh, two two year mission with the Church of Latter Day Saints, I believe. Um, so he is back, and he's back in the area. He's quarantined right now because he's back from Japan. But he'll join us for about twenty minutes a little bit later on to talk about what he went through in Japan and his future plans. So looking forward to that. A couple other things I want to touch on right now: Bryce Drew. 
finalized his staff at Grand Canyon. It uh, includes his brother-in-law, Casey Shaw. So we can imagine that Casey Shaw and wife Dana and their litter of children, and they're all great kids. Uh, they're, they're just so fun to, to kind of see every time they, they would come back to the Ark. Got to imagine they're all moving to Phoenix as well as, I would imagine, Homer and Janet Drew would also be moving to Phoenix as well because I don't think they're going to stay in Nashville. So you got that. Jamal Walker is on the staff. Jamal Walker was a longtime Illinois guy. And some of you Valpo fans may astutely remember that Jamal Walker was the interim head coach for Illinois in the 2017 NIT when Valpo got selected as a seven seed to go play at Illinois, a number two seed. And uh, Jamal Walker uh, stayed on the staff after they hired Brad Underwood. And then rounding out the staff, and probably the top assistant, I would imagine, is Ed Schilling. He was at Indiana for a couple of years, actually helped beat out Bryce Drew for Romeo Langford at Indiana. And then before that, he was with Steve Alford over at UCLA, I believe. Ed Schilling, a longtime Midwest guy. Matter of fact, that whole staff is uh, rooted in the Midwest, more or less. Uh, as you know, Casey Shaw went to Toledo and, you know, then coached in Nashville, which is is Nashville in the Midwest? I have no idea. Is it down south? I, I don't know. But uh, a lot of Midwest roots there with this staff, which is interesting because you'd have thought maybe there'd have been a guy with some connections out west. But it's it's curious to see kind of what they're going to do there and, and, and what kind of team and, and situation that they're going to build at Grand Canyon. So uh, obviously – know Bryce very well. He's a Valpo guy. Going to continue to follow what he does, just like we continue to follow what Scott does. I know there was, you know, there's some sentiment about, uh, you know, I could care less what, you know, they're Valpo guys, right? And this is a podcast about Valparaiso basketball and, and they're they're in the Valpo family, right? So so we pay attention to what, to what they're doing. Um, Speaking about college basketball from a national sense for a second, as, as we're going to get into talking about money with Mark LaBarbera, I've got two money things to touch on before we kick it over to uh, to LaBarbera here for the first segment of, of these interviews. The HBO documentary The Scheme aired on Tuesday night, uh, the final night of March. And man, I, I got to believe that the timing of this like that would have come out on Tuesday night going into the final four where I imagine, you know, that this would have been talked about at the final four quite a bit in Atlanta. I would have probably been there. I was, I was on the fence of whether or not I was going to go down to Atlanta. And, uh, and I, I really, you know, kind of bummed out now that I, that I didn't get a chance to go because I think this could have been a wild tournament. Speaking of tournaments, by the way, if you are interested Make sure you're following me on Twitter because I've been simulating a 353-team bracket. We're down to the Elite Eight, Northern Iowa, still alive. Um, and I'm going to be simulating those games a little bit later on on Wednesday here. And then the uh, the Final Four will take place uh, on Friday. Looking forward to that. So it's it's been a lot of fun to kind of see how that's been taking place. But I think this would have been a wild tournament. And But going back to the scheme, it was really interesting. I bet... If if you don't know what it is, it's a documentary about Christian Dawkins, the guy who was kind of at the center of this FBI investigation that really blew up like two years ago, led to a couple of coaches being arrested and fired. And, um, you know, the FBI had this kind of gaudy press conference where they came out and said, we've got your playbook. We're coming after you. We know what you're doing. And, uh, you know, two and a half years later, we're sitting here like, okay, 
what's going to happen. What what are you what are you doing? And I would imagine most college basketball coaches last night watched the documentary. I've talked to three today from across the country that have all mentioned that they watched it last night or that you know they watched part of it or whatever. Um, I'd imagine that most college basketball reporters watched it last night. Again, what else are we going to watch, right? I mean, we at this point, if you haven't finished Tiger King, what is your problem? And uh, I'm halfway through Ozark Season 3, and I got nothing else. Uh, there's only so many 1990s Chicago Bulls games I can rewatch that are being aired on my television nonstop. Um, I guess I would like to watch some... I, I, did the Milwaukee Bucks ever have a good team? No, now is when the Bucks have a good team. I'd like to be airing the current games of that. Don't know when we're going to get sports back. Anyways, the scheme was really good. I loved it. I thought it was great. But I don't know if the casual fan cares. Right? I don't know if, like, certainly the Arizona fan, like, do they care that Sean Miller is dirty as hell? But is Sean Miller dirty as hell? This is the question that I have. And, like, so I, I would tell you, go and watch the documentary if you're interested in this at all. It's really good. If you don't have HBO, find it. You know, I'm... You can probably like do a free something or another and get it, get it for like a week or something like that. It's really good. It's worth seeing. I, I don't like the NCAA's got rules, right? The NCAA's rules: you can't play pay, pay players, you can't buy players. We get it, right? We do. I get it. I and the documentary will will let you know like how ridiculous amateurism is on its face, right? This idea that the NCAA is a nonprofit organization, they don't have to pay taxes or whatever the deal. I don't, look, I don't know all the finances. What I do know is that these kids are given a college scholarship and then they get to school. And if they're playing for a power five, school is probably the last thing on their minds. The coaches expect them to, this is their job, right? This is their job. And, you know, so many people will stand up and will tell you that, oh, they, they get a college scholarship, they get a college educa- free college education. I don't know many high major athletes that are, you know, I think John Kaiser is the exception to the rule, right? Vashiel Fernandez is the exception to the rule. I know a lot of guys at Valpo over the years that have, you know, they're here to play basketball. And they have done, you know, they go to class, right? There's no question about that. And I think, you know, the Kentucky guys probably go to class, but... You know, what classes are they taking? Are they are they majoring in something? Like, are they really? I don't know the answers to these things. They're there to play basketball. And so if DeAndre Ayton is a very talented player and the NBA won't let him go to the NBA, and he could go overseas, I suppose, or he could go to the G League or whatever, but he's going to be more marketable if he stays, if he goes, you know, Zion Williamson is a more marketable individual because he went to Duke. That's Duke's Zion Williamson, right? I've said this before. Talk to me about Terrence Ferguson. What do you know about him? He went to Australia to play, I think, right, or something like that. I, you know, or like Brandon Jennings. Brandon Jennings played in the NBA. Really good player for a little while there, but he didn't go to a college. He's not. There's no fan base that's beating down the door to celebrate him like Duke is for Zion Williamson. That's their guy. So DeAndre Ayton goes to Arizona, and. He probably got paid to go there, right? I mean, listen to the wiretaps in this documentary. Will Wade talking about, well, we can get these guys here and we'll pay them more at LSU than they can get in the G League or the D League or whatever that was then. And he's probably not wrong. 
But the NCAA tells us that that's illegal. And maybe illegal is not the right word. It's illegal for their rules. I don't know that it's federally illegal, like you're going to prison. Um, that's again, I tell you to watch the documentary. Here's the struggle that I have. And I want everything to be clean. I really do, right? When I was a senior here at Valpo, I, I covered the team and I, I did the radio broadcast. So I would travel with the team. And I, and I think I've told this story on the podcast at some point in the last four years. But we went out to Arizona and we're getting ready to go in the McHale Center for a practice the day before a game. And out walks Will Bynum. Will Bynum, kid from Chicago, a guard. I think he was at Arizona for a couple of years. And he transferred to Georgia Tech and played in the national championship in, uh, in 2004, I think, against UConn. So Will Bynum walks out and walks into the nicest car I've ever seen. I don't know if it was a Lexus or what it was. I just It was a beautiful car. It was like the, the, the sound system was amazing. You know, I mean, he turned on the car and it was bumping. Um, tinted windows, black everything. It was just amazing. And I just remember Milo Stovall, the Valpo basketball team, just jaw dropped on the floor. And, you know, Milo was basically like, oh, this is a whole nother level here. And I think the guys get it, right? The guys here at Valpo understand the hierarchy of college sports, just like the guys at, you know, IU Northwest understand the hierarchy of college sports, right? It, But at a certain level, these guys are getting paid. And whether or not it's right or wrong, I mean, it's wrong, right? I mean, I remember having Mark Adams on the podcast who would talk to me about how pissed he'd get when he knew that he was going up against a team that cheated. And look, I've, I've heard plenty of rumblings over the years about teams that cheat, both in conferences that Valpo's been in around the country and stuff like that. And I know that the coaches that I know get a, you know, really kind of perverse sense of joy from beating those guys. You know, oh, what did your money get you now? But I want to back up for a second. This will be my last point before we swing over to, to Mark LaBarbera. I, is it wrong? I mean, the NCAA tells you it's wrong. They put these rules in place, and I guess we all agree to play by these rules. But are the rules fundamentally wrong? So... My dad, growing up, and, and uh, some of you might not know this about me, um, my, my dad was a Civil War reenactor for, like, my entire youth, pretty much from when I was born until when I was, like, 20. My dad was a Civil War reenactor. I've done it once or twice, um, and I, I actually have a, like, I love studying the Civil War. I know a ton about it. I love it. It's uh, it's like a unique hobby. I, when I was a kid, I thought everybody studied the Civil War because my dad like lived it, you know, and, and like in terms of being a reenactor and all that stuff. So, um, but because my dad was a Civil re- Civil War reenactor, he also would sell a lot of Civil War books. And he was like, we would go antiquing all the time when I was a kid. Again, I thought everybody did this: go to rummage sales and go to estate sales and all of this, and. He would go there and he would negotiate and he would barter and he would buy all of their books. And, you know, or, or maybe like for the purposes of this story, I'll tell you that, you know, I can remember a time or two that he bought a book for five bucks. We'd get home. He'd look at it. He'd, you know, we didn't really have the Internet back then, but he would look at it and, and suddenly it's, he would list it. He, he would do this. Uh, he had like a, a mailer that he would send out and he would list it for 50 bucks. I'd say, Dad. How did you buy this book for $5 and you're going to sell it for 50 And one of the lessons he taught me, and it's a lesson that I still live with today to this day, is he would say, son, which is a lie. He never called me son. He said, Paul, something is only worth what someone will pay for it. So 
I was only going to pay $5 for that book, but somebody else will pay 50 so, Okay, that that's good advice. There are some people out there who are worth a college scholarship. That's what you need to give them, and they'll come play basketball for you. There are other people out there who they're worth more than that. They're worth a college scholarship and $10,000 a month for the entire time they play for your team. DeAndre Ayton, maybe. Again, listening to, is it wrong? Yes. By the NCAA rules, yes, it's wrong. But you're only worth what someone will pay for you. And someone will pay that for DeAndre Ayton. Someone will pay that for Bruce Bowen Jr. Someone will pay that for Nas Reed. Somebody will pay that for Jalen Smart. These are all guys who are listed in this thing. Does it make it wrong? You're damn you're damn right it's wrong. Because those, those are the rules that we all agree to pay by, play by. Now, is it wrong for DeAndre Ayton? I don't know. It's not his rules. There's a great line in one of my favorite films where, you know, someone's talking about college basketball and they and they, they say, not my rules. I didn't make them. You know, when I was uh, looking at schools my freshman year, I ended up going to Concordia Mequon. Part of the reason I went to Concordia was because they gave me $10,000 off my tuition. Why did they give me $10,000 off my tuition? Because I signed up to be a Lutheran high school history teacher. I didn't really have an intention of being a Lutheran high school history teacher, but they gave me $10,000 off my tuition for filling out a few forms. And I took all. I took some education classes. I took some history classes. Like I said, I'm a Civil War buff. I love that stuff. But, you know, wasn't my rule. I got $10,000 off my tuition. After my freshman year, I took a bunch of gen ed classes. Guess what I did? I transferred. It was great. It was a great setup for me. Now, did, I mean, was I actively doing this at the time? I don't. I really don't know. I remember my mom and I sat down and said, hey, we can get $10,000 off tuition here. We just got to get a signature on this form, fill this out. It's good to go. In hindsight, I feel bad about it to a degree, but at the same time, look, they paid me $10,000. Some, something is only worth what someone will pay you. And so I think about these athletes who get paid and are, are, are given the, you know, these deals, and it's wrong from the NCAA, right? We know that it's wrong, but at the same time, they're paying it. You know, someone's paying it somewhere. They're getting rich, right? I, I could talk myself in circles on this because I, actually I don't know how I feel. Some days I think it's it's awful that these coaches cheat. Other days I think it's awful that these players are exploited. I just want to watch basketball. I, you know, I would love to believe that guys are choosing schools because they want to go play for a great coach and all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, watching that documentary last night, and it's really good. You should watch it. I'll tell you, it just had me a little uneasy. All right, this is going to be a long episode here. So we're going to jump in now to an interview with – actually, no, hold up, hold up, hold up. One more money thing that I want to talk about that uh, I had a lot of fun with yesterday. If you haven't seen it yet, hop on Twitter. I, I threw up a thing, uh, gave you a $15 salary cap, and I, I put a group of uh, players, Valpo players up there, and broke them down by salary cap, five, four, three, two, one. Broke off Javon Freeman Liberty, Vashiel, Alec Peters, B Wood, and Van Vyke were all five dollar players, and uh, you got to create a you got to create a five man roster, and you get fifteen dollars to do it. Uh, Four dollar players were Jabril, Keith Carter, Levante, Fizikas, Corey Johnson, Tavon Walker. Three dollar players: Donovan Clay, Bugs, Bakari, Shane, Hamink, Matt Kenny, Howard Little. Two dollar players: Golder, John Kaiser, Malik McMillan, Scara, Smiths, Lexus Williams, and then dollar players were Will Bogan, Capabianco, E. Victor Nickerson, Saki, Jay Soroya, and Darian Walker. And then any write-in that you wanted 
was two bucks. You wanted Ben Cricky, two bucks, Micah Bradford, two bucks, Jordan Coleman, two bucks, uh, Ben Boggs. Um, you know, you know, just kind of repeating a bunch of guys that that have been brought to my attention that I didn't put on the roster here. Uh, had a lot of fun with it, and you know, I was kind of bored yesterday, and and just I threw this out early in the morning, and then Micah Bradford responded with his five that he would choose. Keith Carter picked his five. Um, you know, we had uh, a bunch of guys. Peters broke off. They all picked their five guys: Lexus, Williams, Bugs. All of the. It was so much fun to kind of see this spread throughout. Like when Lexus Williams picked his five, not only did he explain which five he wanted, he talked about what he would run on defense and offense. Right? I thought it was great. It was really kind of cool, and it was awesome to see these guys kind of all kind of communicate. Look, we're all cooped up in our house right now, doing nothing, and uh, this was awesome. Right? It was really kind of a fun, fun thing. So uh, if you haven't seen that yet, jump on Twitter at NWI Orin. you got to scroll down a little bit, and you'll find the uh, the $15 to make a five-man lineup. It's pretty awesome. All right. NCAA makes a ruling on Monday. Spring semester athletes have got an additional year of eligibility. That's one answer. There are many more questions, and there's a whole lot else to talk about with Mark LaBarbera. We're going to bring him up, and then shortly thereafter, you'll get Stephen Helm, who will pop on here to talk about his trip to Japan. Thank you all for listening. It's been uh, it's been fun to put these together still, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to continuing to tell more stories about past, present, and maybe future Valpo basketball players. Thanks. Be healthy. Be safe. Here's the man. Happy to be joined by the Valparaiso Director of Athletics, Mark LaBarbera. Mark, thank you very much. Um, kind of, uh, it's been a whirlwind. It feels like March has gone on forever. We're on the final day of March. Um, can you kind of take me back to the week after Arch Madness as sports started getting postponed and canceled? Like, what was that week like? How difficult was it to kind of go through the emotions of all of that? Well, it was clearly an unusual and unprecedented week. Um, you know, on, on, I guess on Sunday the 8th, we were in St. Louis uh, watching the men's basketball team compete on uh, national television for a championship. And four days later on the uh, 12th, we were on a conference call with uh, all the athletic directors and all the presidents um, <clears throat> making the decision to, to cancel the women's tournament um, that was ready to start that night. And then everything kind of went in a pretty quick progression from that point on to canceling championships to canceling all the rest of the sports for the for the um spring and so yeah it was uh it was a it was a unusual week to say the least i know that i mean your job and pretty much a lot of people's jobs is to have a contingency plan for everything but this feels like something that no one could have ever planned for i guess just was it was it kind of making it up as people go and i'm not just saying you i'm just saying like the whole like you know, whether it be Doug Elgin or, or anything like that, like just how did how was there a blueprint to to move forward through all of this? Well, certainly it's an unprecedented situation that nobody anticipated or, um, you know, nobody, I don't think really, as you kind of think through the types of things that could happen, I don't ever remember talking about something along these lines. So I think the key really was flexibility. Um, I, I think as we as we got into it and we realized that the situa- what the situation was and realized that the situation was, I guess, pretty fluid, um, and we really didn't know um, what 
potentially could be happening next. I, I'm just thinking through the progression for the women's tournament. There were a variety of plans um, to playing with no uh, reducing the number of people that come in or playing with no fans. But I think flexibility was was the key because um, I think all you could do um, as we went through those weeks and even now is just make the decisions for that day that were the best decisions based on the information you had for that day, realizing that you very well may have to change course on the next day because the information, things seem to be changing so quickly and the situation seemed to be changing so quickly. So <clears throat> at least the way that, that, that I dealt with it was say, okay, we're going to make the best decision we can for today, and then tomorrow when we get um, either new information or different information, we'll just make the best decision for that day. Well, that's a good way to look at it. And that leads me into the next question. I suppose what is a normal day for you now, if you can even classify <laughs> the word normal? Um, yeah, the it's it's not their normal days because obviously we're there are no athletic competitions. So um, in the, I've been doing this for thirty years now. This is the first spring um, where there's been no athletic competitions. Um, I mean, none. I mean, that's typically what happens in June and July, and those are really the only months. So it's unusual from there. And obviously the pandemic and, um, and the concerns for people's health and safety is, 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 is put a completely different um, perspective on things and so having to work from home. Uh, so what we're trying to do now is, is a couple of things. Um, we're, we're trying to um, make sure that we keep all of our student athletes on track academically. I mean, that's the number one goal right now. As the university uh, is um, delivering all their classes online, this is something that, that's not the norm for the faculty, although I would say the faculty at Velpo has done an amazing job to convert over and to make all that happen. And then um, it's not the norm for the kids um, to take all of their classes online and to be somewhere else. So our number one goal is to make sure, first, people stay healthy. Two, that people are doing the things they need to do to stay in good academic progress and get all their classwork done. And then three, we're trying to provide support for them as athletes and how do they do those kind of things um, at home. So a lot of the things we're dealing with now are kind of related to all of those. Um, we've had, uh, we do a lot of video conferences, so we've been talking about um, a, a number of those things. So I want to pivot to, the, at least, you know, talked about making the decisions for today and then you move to the next day. So the big decision that was made on Monday was the NCAA ruling about giving the spring semester athletes an additional year of eligibility. And there's a lot of language in the ruling that they had that kind of makes sense. But, you know, if, if you're not really in it, you know, it's talking about assistance funds and all of this stuff. I guess if can you just walk me through maybe what that ruling means in regards to Valparaiso have you know, have you talked to coaches? Have they talked to athletes? Do you guys have an understanding of how many people would want to take advantage of this? And I guess kind of what are the plans going forward with what seems to be a situation where there are far more questions than there are answers, even with the ruling that was given? Well, I think there, <clears throat> there still are a lot of questions. So we do have an understanding of, of what the total number of, of seniors are for us. So by our count, we believe there's 41 student athletes at Valparaiso that would fall into that. And all of their situations are different. So, well, 
well, yes, they have the opportunity to come back. Yes, they have the opportunity for another year of competition for the spring sport athletes. And I would add this. I think it was the right thing to do. Um, it's, it, it, it was um, the right thing to do for those young people, many of whom had their seasons cut significantly. Um, so it, it was the right thing to do. But now we're going to have to um, understand each one of their individual situations. So I know for a fact that there are some of our spring sport athletes that are in a situation of saying, hey, listen, I came to Valparaiso, yes, I, I came here for for the, the team and my sport, but I also came here because of the quality education, because I needed to prepare for what was going to be next after college. And you know what? I'm prepared, and I'm moving on to that next thing. So we know in that 41 there were student-athletes that have already interviewed and accepted some pretty pretty nice jobs, some meaningful positions, and we know there's going to be a number of them that are going to say, that have already said, hey, we're moving on. Um, we've got this arranged already. Um, so we're going to have to deal with each one um, individually. I think, actually, I think what we'll do is we'll kind of look at it sport by sport because some of the sports have a fair number. Some of them only have one or two. And then as we understand the situations for those teams, then we'll kind of deal with them on an individual basis. So for non-seniors... <laughs> Let's take a look at a kid like Brittany Anderson. Just I just wrote a story about her that everyone listening can go to nwi.com and read about. Brittany Anderson is an athlete on softball who is a junior this year. Right. Does she remain a junior next year? Yes, her. So well, what? Um, yes. Yeah, so what will happen is they've extended everybody's five-year clock that's currently here, if you want to say that. So she would get an additional year to get her four in, if that's what she wanted. So yes. So she would have two more years of eligibility in softball. It seems interesting to look at a kid then like Kelsey Packard, who, and again, we as you said, every one of these kids is different, right? Everybody's got a different story. I think Kelsey is somebody who had already gotten an additional year of eligibility, which would have been year number six, I think, for her. And now there's a possibility, I suppose, she could have year number seven, um, I think. I, maybe my math is off there. but yeah, uh, I don't, You know, that's an individual situation. I think that's what I mean. We're going to have to look at everybody um, case by case and find out what and make get an understanding of what their individual situation is going to be so i want to use bait i don't know enough of the details um at this point to comment on those people that would tend to be a little bit out of the norm like kelsey packer because of her medical red shirt and stuff yeah and, and again as as you said and i think it's a great point that every athlete at valpo has got a different story right there's really no two no two ways here you know, I, I'm, we're also putting together a good story on uh, on Brian Schmack and his son Kyle again. As we we keep trying to find these great stories to tell of uh, of people at Valpo. That is a great story. And I know that baseball had 13 seniors, and I know for, from just talking to Brian, if all 13 came back and all the freshmen came in, they don't have enough jerseys. To, to, like so, so yeah, the devil's in the details with some of these things. So that's what I mean. So we're going to have to look at it sport by sport, and we're going to then, once we get a, a sense of what the situation is with that sport, then we're going to have to look at it really by, person by person and, and, and see where they're at. So, yes, that the devil's in the details because can you really deal with, let's say, now by our count it's 12, but it doesn't – Okay. whatever it is, 12 or 13 – 
I mean, do you suddenly go from whatever it is, 32 to 44 or 45? I mean, how would you manage that? You, we don't even have physically have that many lockers. Yeah. So um, those are the kind of things we're going to need to understand and get a better sense on. And um, and so we'll we'll that's what I mean. We'll be dealing with it sport by sport, and then once with each sport, we'll be dealing it kind of like individually with each with each individual situation. I've got one more question on on this particular topic because I, I this was kind of fascinating to me. Indoor track ended, outdoor track had yet to begin. I think right. And if I remember correctly, at least I looked back at the the old old way that these athletes were dis, were were classified was like cross-country runners had a clock for their cross-country time, a clock for their outdoor season, a clock for their indoor season, and they were really listed as like three different years. Is is now indoor athletes going to all be like a senior this year for indoor will be done, but they could compete in outdoor next year, or is there a differentiation between that? No, you're no, – you're, you're... – your first point was the right one. So each one of those athletes, and that obviously that deals with runners specifically, but each one of those runners, particularly the distance runners, have three separate clocks because the NCAA considers each one of those a separate sport. So um, you could run out of eligibility, uh, say, for cross-country and outdoor and still have a season of indoor if, you, if for some reason you didn't compete in one of the years for indoor. So... Um, <clears throat> You'll see uh, our, our seniors, probably many of our seniors on the track team, would not have eligibility for cross country or indoor, but they could still have a year of eligibility for track. Yeah, this outdoor is uh, track. again, even though we've gotten one answer from the NCAA, I think it just opens up a whole bunch of other questions at this oh, point. Oh, it does, and and people will have to as people sort through it. You're going to see more of those questions come up, and I'm sure they'll be. People will be moving, rounding back to the NCAA and um, and their staff, uh, membership staff, and saying, "Okay, we need an interpretation. Exactly, how are some of these things going to apply?" <laughs> it also feels a little uh, leery here with this idea that, and, and this hasn't been voted on yet, and I think it might be pushed back. This transfer rule, and and obviously we talk about this a lot with football and basketball about, you know, the NCAA maybe saying that you don't have to sit out a year. I think of. <clears throat> I think of athletes now whose maybe their bodies have matured a little bit, and suddenly now instead of having two years of eligibility left, they've got three years of eligibility left. And and it, I mean, it, I guess is there a, is there a fear that that could happen? Um, you know, I, I guess just do you have any thoughts on this transfer thing that is out there? Well, I know that there are a lot of people now saying, and, and the Missouri Valley Conference has kind of taken a leadership um, position in this, that hey, we need to deal with the important things first. And the important things are we need to understand exactly what's happening with the spring sport kids and get all that organized. There's also some obviously important issues that we need to, to figure out around revenue distributions and stuff. So we need to deal with the, the, the important, timely things now, and it, it would be better to put some of these other conversations off for a little bit so we can concentrate on the things that need to be dealt with right away. So I, I have a feeling that some of that transfer conversation is going to be put off a little bit while we make sense of all the things that have happened in the last month. And I guess that leads me pretty easily to the next question. When we talk finances, is there any way to know what this is going to do long term, really both for Valpo and for the other schools? I imagine the Valley has been talking about this on conference calls. 
how much does not having the NCAA tournament revenue stream this year hurt Valpo directly in the Valley? Well, it hurts it hurts Valpo in the Valley directly is that you can see the numbers. So um, basically the NCAA says is we're going to distribute about one-third of what we normally would. So for schools um, like Valparaiso and schools in the Missouri Valley, that's a meaningful change to the resources that we have available for, for what we're going to do. So um, now it's interesting – I saw a quote from um, Bob Bowlesby, who's the commissioner of the Big 12, that said, hey, we have enough reserves here at the conference that we can make all of our institutions whole on this NCAA distribution. Well, you know, the Power 5 schools could do that, but that's not something that's going to happen in the Missouri Valley or any of the conferences like the Missouri Valley, or I would guess any of the conferences below the Power 5. So um, it's going to be meaningful. Uh, particularly in this year where we're going to take the brunt of it and everyone's going to have to figure out a way to manage to it. And now it's interesting to hear the quote from Bob Bowlesby there because I also imagine, you know, the Valley, I think it's been stated, I think Mike Kern has said this publicly, that the Valley anticipates an average of 1.5 tournament units every year. Right. The ACC and the Big 12 probably anticipate like a dozen, right? So... I mean, I feel like they're really going to be hurt by this, and especially, and, and this will lead to a question I have in a, in a second about football, if there's any chance that football doesn't go off, I don't know that that's going to hurt a smaller school like Valpo as much as it's going to hurt a Baylor or a Kansas or a Texas or an Oklahoma. I guess just, it again, there feels like there's, I don't really have a question here, it just feels like there's more questions than answers in terms of uh, sorting out all this money stuff. There are more questions and answers. So, the, the, well, the the, um, the big conferences do have a lot more shares than than um, conferences like the Valley or um, or even the Atlantic Ten, those type of places. But but still, in the grand overall scheme of things for them, those dollars are not nearly as meaningful yeah. as some of their other revenue streams. So, if you're a Big Ten school, and I I'm to be careful about the numbers, I because I'm not sure, but I think the last time I, I saw something written, do they get, I don't know, 35 or $40 million each a year from the Big Ten Network? Probably, yeah. Some, yeah. It's some number like that. So um, if, if you're talking that you have that that kind of distribution and now you might lose potentially, I don't know what it would be for them, a million dollars a school, I, I don't know what it would come out to be. They have ways of, of cushioning that that, institutions like Valparaiso and schools in the Missouri Valley don't. Now, it will get interesting if, for some reason, part of the football season gets canceled or if it all were to be canceled, which at this point doesn't seem likely, but even if they lose part of it, um, that does change the dynamics for them because they don't share that money with anybody other than themselves. So that creates a, a, a significant problem for the for the Power Five that won't trickle down to the other schools because that's that's outside the NCAA. So yeah, it, uh, it, yeah. I wanted to ask about this, uh, and, and this is maybe putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole, but I imagine does Valpo save any money by not competing in the spring here? I mean, obviously, you, you no one is saying let's let's be excited about saving money here, but like. You know, you're not traveling for track and baseball and softball and everything in the last, you know, two months of the season. 
Is there any kind of financial relief that comes out of that at the moment? Well, certainly we did save money by not traveling in the spring. Um, so there, there were there. There are some significant savings, but what institutions have to do is they have to look at that holistically, not just as an individual department. So as institutions figure out how to manage in the current environment, now you have the unprecedented situation for most colleges and universities where they close their campuses and they, they told people they needed to go home. Um, I don't ever, I can't think of a situation where universities have had to refund room and board to people. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, um, so, so the every institution now has an institutional problem, um, of which their athletics problem is just one small piece. And by athletics problem, I mean the reduction in NCAA distribution. So, that's just one small piece. So, every institution is going to have to look at holistically and say, okay. What do we need to do to properly manage through the entire situation, manage the entire institution through the situation to make sure that when we come out on the other end, and we will come out on the other end at some point, that we're in the strongest position we can be as an institution. So spring football is off the table. What's your message to Landon Fox and the, and, and really all of the fall sports teams as you know, it, it feels odd to think that this could go that far into the fall. But also, again, you know, as you talked about, you just try to get through one day into the next. And, and obviously, without spring football, that is going to throw a wrench into their plans. I guess, what do you think about the fall sports and how you anticipate moving forward with them right now? Um, well, we're just telling them all to do the best they can. Yeah. Um, so um, we're trying to stay engaged with the student-athletes. I know the coaches, because um, we're doing check-ins with the coaches, uh, they're, in, they're in contact with their kids, um, regardless of what the, all the teams are. The coaches are in contact with them in a variety of ways, and obviously that's much easier to do now. Um, it's much easier through technology to do video chats with kids and, and do Zoom meetings with groups and, and stuff. So the, the coaches are checking in with them, uh, one, to make sure that they're, still, they're, they're just doing well in general, um, two, to make sure they're staying on track with their classwork, and then three, to try to get them prepared as best they can to, um, for the fall for when they come back, um, and we look forward to them being back on campus. So there's a variety of things going on. So um, they're just doing the best they can. You'll notice in the last couple of days that Coach Curtis, who's the strength and conditioning coach that deals with football, he started putting some videos up. Uh, to give kids the, um, some examples, um, ideas of things that they can do at home to work out, to kind of stay in shape, things that they can do, use things around their home to help them um, if they you know, don't have the training equipment they need. So we're just kind of looking for ways we can keep them engaged, looking for ways that we can you know, stay in touch with them and just kind of do the best we can, understanding that everyone's in the same situation. Yeah, I tried one of those workouts. It didn't go too well for me. Um, <laughs> So, you know, every year around this time, you and I sit down and we do an episode of Union Street Hoops together, and I'm very grateful for that. And I I do want to ask you a couple of questions. I just got two or three left here, Uh, maybe not related to COVID-19, but maybe, you know, typical questions that I would ask you around this time. And I know this kind of seems like an odd time to talk about this, given everything that's going on. But uh, let's talk Matt Loddick for a second. Um, It's obvious that the team took a step forward this year. In his plan, the plan that 
you guys talked about, I know that at the end of the season last year, you sat down in the office and you mapped out some things. We've talked about that before. It looked like everything came to fruition. Now, this is a private school, and we don't know the details of the initial contract when Matt was hired in 2016. But I've got to think, given the track record of what I know, it was probably a four- or a five-year deal, which would mean that now is about the time to start looking into an extension of some sort. I guess, where are you with Matt with that? Is that is that the right kind of temperature of what's going on at the moment and kind of how happy were you with the way that the season kind of ended? Well, first off, I'll say we're very happy with the way the season ended. We we said from the beginning that what our we would judge success by were we were we a better team at the end of the season than we were at the beginning of the season. So were we able to see steady progress as the season went along? And I think that's clearly the case. Um, I think the team got better and, and played its best basketball in February. If you look at um, the team's record and success from kind of February on, it's clearly where we, we played our best basketball. We played some nice basketball early on, and we took some tough losses, even though we played well. I think of the overtime loss to Cincinnati, and you think of losing to Arkansas. Um, at the very end of the game, we played very well and unfortunately didn't get the result that we wanted. But um, but there started to be some consistency with being able to play at that level, and you could see that. So we were successful in what we wanted to do, and that was coming off of you know some obviously some turmoil in the program. Um, but we we succeeded in the plan that we talked about at the beginning of the season. One, we got back to what I would call a more traditional basketball, uh, Velpo basketball, a more traditional Velpo basketball culture um, with more kind of uh, um, just the style of play, but also the way that the the players kind of came together as a team. And then we clearly got better on the court, and we've got some very talented young men um, here um, that Matt's brought, and he's done a good job with them. And and I would say this, Matt Lonick – is the type of coach that you want, particularly it's the type of coach that we would value here at Valparaiso University. He's honest. He's a man of integrity. He's got compassion. He cares about his kids. Um, and he's a good basketball coach. And so um, for all those reasons, we, you know, it's our hope that he'll be the basketball coach here going forward. I mean, I mean he will be the basketball coach yeah. going forward. But we're going to do everything we can to support him. Very good. Uh, and again, Every day I look at Twitter right now, the transfer list is growing and growing and growing. Sure. It's over 550 or so at this point, and, and you know, that's probably going to be outdated the second after I say it out loud. Um, but there's no Valpo players on it, and it's the first time since the end of the 14-15 season when Valpo went back to the NCAA tournament. with uh, That was with Alec Peters when he was a sophomore, that team. Um I guess just we talk about the nature of college basketball. How refreshing is it, I guess, to sit here and realize that, you know, you've you've talked about the experience that these guys sign up for to realize that all of these guys, at least as we know of right now, are all saying, I want that experience again. Right, and, and I think that is very refreshing. And, and as you look at some of the programs that you'd like to be, you kind of look around and, and look at, at, at some other mid-major programs that people would consider to be quality programs, you'll see similar things there. You'll see where they don't have a lot of outboard, out 
bound transfers, that they keep groups of kids together. You know, there's a great example in our own conference. I mean, if you were to look, if you look at Northern Iowa and look at their experience over the last few years, um, or probably more than the last few years, you'll see that they've built their uh, a basketball program and a culture where the kids that come in, they find the right kids, they come together, they value that, and they stay there. And you can see the success there. So um, that's, I think, important. And, and that goes back to what I would call traditional um, historical Velpo basketball. I mean, that's what we've always been about, um, the Velpo experience, the culture, uh, bringing the right kids in to play the right style. And I think that's what Matt um, succeeded in doing this year. And I see that moving forward is going to be the model. If there was one casualty that really kind of felt unfair about the whole COVID-19 thing, to me, it felt like the women's basketball team not getting an opportunity to play in the postseason. I think they were earmarked for no worse than the WBI, if not a chance at the WNIT. Obviously, they were playing excellent basketball. They had a tough matchup with Bradley in the first round of their tournament. They never got to play that game. You've made a lot of hires in your time at Valpo, and I think uh, I don't think there's a better one you've made than Mary Evans. I guess what has you excited about what you've seen from Mary in the first two years and, and going forward with this program? Well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. I, I, I agree. I think Mary Evans has, has been an outstanding hire. Uh, Mary Evans, I'd say the same thing about her that I just said about Matt Lonick. Mary Evans is a woman of – she's, uh, she's uh, honest. She's a woman of integrity. She cares about and has compassion for, for the young women that are on her team. Um, and she's a well of a coach. I mean, she's a, a great X and O's coach. So we think she's a great culture fit for Velpo. Um, you could see that in just the way her players responded to her. Um, they had the same experience over the course of the year as the men. Um, they clearly continued to get better as the season went on. They had a pretty good start. They had their best non-conference start, I think, ever. Um, but you could clearly see them getting better in conference play. Um, we, it was, you know, we started out the first. We lost our first two games. They were both at home, but to some pretty. Stiff, stiff competition, um, and as we got into the year later, we were able to beat those teams on the road, or at least beat Southern Illinois. So um, the same progression. They continue to get better. They continue to um, show improvement, and I agree with you. It was um, heartbreaking for them not to be able to play in their conference tournament um, because I think they would have showed very well. I was really excited about um, the, the opportunities in front of them and the prospects of, and see what they could do just like the men. I'll end with this question, and that's the one that that I'm sure you get almost every day. It's the one that I get all the time, and people would throw tomatoes and stones at me if I didn't ask you. Um, Matt Loddick made a made a really a really nice uh, kind of under his breath comment after playing at Loyola when he talked about Gentile and said, "Oh, this is a great arena. We'd love to have something like sure. this at Valpo." Um, I I would imagine with the financial uncertainty of what's going on it's hard to even understand where things could go from here but where are you at with any kind of arc or field house or anything like that i'll just kind of broad stroke question of uh of ideas about all of that stuff going on yeah sure um so my the, my first comment on that is clearly what's important at this time um for for our community and for our nation is everybody needs to focus on staying healthy 
staying safe and doing all the things that we need to um, to make sure that that happens. Um, and people need to f obviously spend time focusing on their individual situation and what they need to do to um, keep their family healthy and safe. Um, so, so that's the important thing, and, and that's what we want everybody thinking about at this point. Um, at some point down the road, things will become normal again, and then we'll be able to go back to thinking about those other things that that um, that we need to do as a department, those things that we need to do as an institution. I would tell you that we've studied the ARC um, in, in detail. We have a very clear understanding of what needs to happen um, with the ARC and what we need to do um, to that to be um, to be able to compete successfully in the Missouri Valley Conference. We have an understanding of what that would cost. Um, now it's just a matter of going out and finding those people that would um, that would catch that same vision and passion with us to help us um, make it happen. But there'll be a time for that, and now is not the time. Very good. Mark LaBarbera, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, chat in what I imagine is uh, one of the, you know, stranger Union Street hoops uh, appearances you've ever had. But thank you very much, and we look forward to hopefully one day getting back to some normalcy again. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. Joined right now by really one of my favorite athletes in Northwest Indiana over the last, I don't know, it feels like a dozen years. It's been so long. Stephen Helm is here. Stephen, thank you for joining Union Street Hoops. Welcome back to the United States of America. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate it. For those who don't know, Stephen played basketball at Valpo High School, was an excellent player there. Uh, when you made it uh, to the Hoosier Basketball Top 60, you were on, of course, the Northwest Indiana Times All-Area Team. And then you went off to Carroll College where you played when you were a freshman in 2016-17. Then you came to Valpo and you sat out, uh, played you know basketball. You were on the roster in 2017-18. And then you were on the track team, and then you went away. Where have you been for the last two years? last two years I've been in Japan. Um, I was in Japan serving a mission for my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, yeah, I was just devoting my service to my Heavenly Father, and now I'm back. I imagine, were you supposed to be gone longer? Did you come back early because of uh, COVID-19, or did you did you go out, yeah. play out your entire time there? That's exactly right. I, I actually did have a few months left, um, so I, it did get cut short, uh, my, my whole service. But um, I still got to serve for about a year and a half, so it was... It was uh, an experience of a lifetime, that's for sure. But yeah, COVID-19, um, really unfortunate. I hope that everyone's staying healthy and safe. And actually, when we when I reached out to you about this, you'd said, well, let's do this in mid-April because you're in quarantine right now, right? That's right. Yeah, I'm not supposed to leave the house. i got to stay in here for about 14 days. So I think I'm on day, what's today, Wednesday? Yeah, I'm on day six, and so... Oh, it won't be won't be seeing me around a, a whole lot. How how you know we'll, we'll get into some other questions, but like how crazy is that? You haven't been home for eighteen months. You come back, like you can't even go to Shoops to get a burger right now. Like what what is that like? I honestly, it hurts because <laughs> the one thing I want is a 
a burger from Shoops or some El Amigo or something. That's exactly what I want, and I can't have it. So See, I, but. I was thinking if I was away from Valpo for 18 months, what I would want in the Shoops burger is exactly, you know, it's right there. Uh, they should sponsor this segment. Um, <laughs> You're right. So, man, it feels like just yesterday that you and I were standing, I think we were standing in the in the arc at some point. We were talking about kind of what you were going to be going through and all of that. And, and, um, and, and I remember, I don't even, I think you knew at that point you were going to Japan, but I don't think you knew if you were going to be able to have a basketball at any point. Like, right. did, you know, can you just kind of, I mean, I don't know how much you're able to disclose, but can you just kind of walk through what you, what you did in terms of, uh, you know, carrying out your mission and serving the Lord over there in, in Japan? Yeah. Yeah, of course I can. Um, so every day, you know, we're just trying to serve other people and, um, find those that want to learn more about Jesus Christ. And so we just, we woke up 6.30. We had a regiment. We have a schedule um, that we keep. Um, a lot of it's, it used to be a lot more regimented, but it's it's made a lot more flexible now. Um, but we wake up at 6.30, you know, we wake up, pray, work out. Um, so I'd usually do some calisthenics and whatnot. We didn't really have a, a home gym or anything in those tiny apartments in Japan. So <laughs> I had to stick with the, you know, the push-ups, the pull-ups and all that stuff, maybe a run or two. Um, and none of the, the uh, in America, the the churches here, a lot of them have gyms, um, yeah. sometimes full-court gyms. Um, but in Japan, the churches, only, only a few of them have basketball courts. So I didn't really get a whole lot of basketball time in. But um, I go through... Some personal studies, studying scripture, um, you know, good word of God, getting that in. And then they'd have a, a companionship study. I was always with a companion. So when you're a missionary from our church, you're always, you always have a companion, you know, safety reasons and things like that, but also um, to help you um, teach with more power and, and help others and, you know, um, keep you keep you liable and accountable and responsible. So I've had, I had really great companions throughout my mission. Uh, I think I had seven of them. Um, they're all great young men. And so we have a companionship study. We talk about what we're going to do for the rest of the day. Um, oh, forgot. At 8.30 in the morning, we have a planning session. So we plan our day out. Um, and then later we have a, a study where we go more into specifics of what we're going to do and who, who we're going to help and how we're going to help them. And then I was in Japan, obviously, so I had to study Japanese. <laughs> So we had about an hour to stay Japanese a day if, if we had time. Um, and so I'd study Japanese. And then we'd go out and um, do our best to help help those. And then in the mission, there's a lot of different um, leadership positions that you can hold if um, the mission president calls you to do so. Um, and so I, I was lucky I held all of the one. Um, and there's no rank-up system or anything like that. It's just what mission president thinks you're fit for. And so there's um, there's a senior companion, there's a trainer, there's a district leader, which is like a, a leader over a couple couple areas. For example, in a district, there was like a, um, my area was called Yamaguchi. Okay. And there was an area called Hofu, area called Tokuyama. Those three areas make up a district, and so we had a district leader in that area. Now in that specific area, I was a zone leader, um, in the Yamaguchi zone, which means that there's more areas in the Yamaguchi zone. And I was said leader over 
of the zone of the of the missionaries, making sure they're um, you know working hard and staying sane, and um, you know doing their best to just help all the people around them and their units and whatnot. So that was um, that's kind of a short rundown of what um, a missionary's daily daily life's like. And then during the week, we have um, a weekly planning session. So we we do our weekly plan. It's all technical stuff, but we. We do a weekly plan to make sure our whole next week what we're going to do, you know, who we're going to see, what we're anticipating. And so we, you know, we really had a lot of detailed plans and goals and uh, things that we wanted to accomplish. And so it was awesome. Well, every time I've gone overseas and I've been to China and I've been to Europe, uh, everyone always asks me about the food. Uh, I've never been to Japan. What was your favorite thing that you ate over there? goodness that is such a hard question because everything's good yeah so I, I mean i was in china for nine days and i i never had a complaint that's right yeah that's amazing it's just so good yeah i you know oh man there's this thing i ate right uh before i left called ski men okay um it's like uh it's like a how, how can i explain it's like a special type of ramen um but also the classic ramen, bowl ramen is way, way better than oh, it, yeah, America. Yeah. It's just unreal. Um, favorite spot is in Fukuoka City um, called Hakata Ramen. It is fantastic. It's only three bucks a bowl, and then you get a refill of your noodles for a dollar. Best spot for lunch. There we go. Uh, how is your Japanese? How is my Japanese? Uh, it's all right. It's all right. I can. Uh, we have this uh, manual. Manual to to. Uh, it's like a. Um, it's like a guide that we have as missionaries called Preach My Gospel, um, and I can read all of that in Japanese. Um, kanji. So in Japanese, there's three. There's three written. How do you how do you explain? It? There's three like alphabets, if you okay. if, if you would. There's hiragana. There's katakana. And there's kanji which is Chinese characters. And so that's what makes Japanese really hard is because you, reading is just almost impossible if you don't, you know, if you can't read. you got to read, be able to read all three alphabets if you want to be able to read it. But I can read that, you know, 200-page. So if I, if I gave you a sentence to say out loud in Japanese, could you translate it right now? I, I could try my best. Okay. Let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw this sentence out there. Okay. And... You tell me if you can say it back in Japanese. Okay. I will be back on the Valparaiso basketball team this fall. Okay. Kondo no. Eto. Aki. Desho. Kondo no aki. Ni. Watashi wa. Valparaiso daiyaku no. Basket team ni. Mata hairimasu. <laughs> Good enough for me. Now, is that a true statement? Yes. Absolutely. That's great. Matt Loddick let me know uh, a couple days ago that he's super excited to have you back. Uh, how excited are you to uh, to rejoin the team? I'm so excited. I'm just I, – uh, I just can't wait. I, I know I've tried to keep up with the team as best as I could when I was out in Japan, and it seems like they had a great end of their season. 
I'm excited to see some of the guys I I knew and and hung out with before I before I left, and now they're all grown up and you know seniors and juniors now, and I'm going to be a sophomore, but you know I'm the oldest guy on the team, but that's okay. It's um, crazy because I was looking at the roster: Parker Hazen's at Lipscomb, Micah Bradford's at Southern, Tavon Walker's playing pro, Max Joseph playing pro. Bakari went to Iowa. Marcus went to Portland State. Martin went to UNC Wilmington. Jay went to Cincinnati and is now playing pro. Derek went to Butler. Kaiser and Fizikas just are done. Malik McMillan is the only guy left on the roster from when you were here in 2017-18. How, how crazy. I mean, you just left like 20 minutes ago. And uh, yeah, you're the, and the whole, everything's changed. It's like. It's two DAC guys. Yeah, that's right. Right, right back to the region. <laughs> Just so I mean, obviously, were you able to follow the team at all? I mean, I I imagine you're pretty strict in terms of media availability of of watching streamed games or anything like that. But I mean, how were you able to keep up with what was going on? Yeah, so I, you know, obviously, as a missionary, not allowed to watch TV. That's what I thought. Yeah, not to keep up with the news. Um, only technology we have is a tablet, and even that by the church is. Um, monitor and whatnot and so um the best i could do is you know <laughs> i i got a video call with my parents once a week um if i chose to do so and so i would just hear from them uh <laughs> and coach Lodick and coach gore would email me every once in a while and let me know how everyone was doing that's about it though i didn't uh didn't watch any videos i didn't you know get to watch any games i didn't really get to hear any of that it's just Every once in a while, I get a text, or I talk to my parents, and they'd say, "Hey, I'll go beat Loyola in overtime, or you know, in the tournament, or whatever." And I'd be like, "Whoa," you know, all that. But that's about it. So, did you know Javon and Daniel at all through the recruiting process? When I mean, I imagine I know Daniel visited at one point when you were here. Just have you gotten? Did you know those guys at all? I, I did. I I was I actually um, walked Dan Danny um, Sacky around campus when he was here. Uh, I, I hung out with him, and we hung out through the summer. And Javon, too, I was here for when he visited and committed. And, um, you know, I was working out with those guys before I, before I left. So, Yeah, and again, I imagine most, of, you know, Aaron and Nick were probably here during that summer as well. And, and uh, you know, I'd imagine just the freshmen were the, were the only real newcomers here. Um, something else interesting that has happened since you've been gone is Valpo has uh, – grown their walk-on population quite a bit um, with Brock Pappas from Washington Township and then Luke Morrill, a kid from from Chicago. It looks like you guys will have three walk-ons next year. Um, just kind of how excited are you to, to be able to go through that journey with uh, with a group of guys? I just, you know, it's, it's just awesome just to be a part of a great team and to be a part of uh, guys that want to get after it. Um, and you know the walk-on life is something for people who want to work hard every day, and um, and they don't care about their status or anything like that. They just want to be part of something great and help the people around them be better. And so I, I'm excited to meet those two. I've heard of Rock before, but um, obviously being in Valpo and all. But yeah, I'm really excited. Um, to be around such a, just a great group of guys. I've heard great things about each and every member of the team. So, so 
let's go back to Valpo High for a second. These guys just beat Chesterton in the sectional. They were going to the regional. They were going to match up against Merrillville. And then COVID-19 has kind of put everything, you know, it's everything's done now. Yeah. Just how how deflating do you think that's got to be for an athlete to kind of go through something like that? I mean, obviously you had a, a different version of it, having your mission cut short, but just like, do you empathize with those guys who kind of had their dream taken away from them a little bit? I do, I do because, you know, you work hard and you have a goal and you say it at the beginning of the season or even right, you know, right when the, the last season ends, you say, okay, you know, if it didn't end the way you wanted it to, then here's our, here's our new goal. We know we can reach this. And we're going to, um, do our best to achieve that. And so, they, you know, those guys, those kids have been working, you know, ever since um, workouts started up again, and some of them even harder than that. And to have it all cut short like that's tough. But um, it takes a, a tough kid to bounce back from that and not let that get them down and not quit. Um, if they continue to work hard and then come back next season with the same um, animosity or animosity, the same audacity. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, uh, they'll, you know, then they'll keep, continue to do great things um, for Valpo's community and for the high school and for Coach Kuhlman and the rest of the guys. So, so talk to me about track a little bit. Is that still something that you you plan on pursuing here at Valpo? I I have not fully decided that. Um, I don't believe so. Okay, um, but. I love track and I love running. Um, You're pretty good at it. You uh, <laughs> 49.91 in the 400 meter dash in the outdoor championships in the uh, in the valley there. Because uh, you you were it was interesting. You couldn't compete in basketball because you played at Carroll, um, but you also ran track at Carroll. But you were able to compete for Valpo. Why was there a difference there? The I think the the rules. The NCAA rules for track transfers are a little different. Okay. So I didn't actually know that going in. Um, someone mentioned that to me, and they said, hey, you know, you can actually compete if you come out. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so I, I honestly, I wasn't originally planning on running. Um, I thought about it. Um, but then once I heard that, I was like, well, might as well compete in something. And so I went for it. And great group of people. And we, we I think we broke the – four by 400 meter relay record at Valpo Region University as well. Yes, you so. did. Yeah, it was a record that was set in 1974, and you guys shaved about three, like a full three seconds off that time, the four by four relay time. <laughs> but But I imagine, you know, you're able to play now basketball, so I would think that it, it, your focus will kind of be strongly into that. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm, I'm headed. Um, you know, it's a dream, so going to bust my butt from here. Well, I'll tell you, if they continue the motion offense, which worked very well, I think uh, you fit in very nicely there. And also, you know, you're a pretty darn good free throw shooter. <laughs> Nin- 94% in high school, right? 94.2 in college so far. Oh. Um, what What is it about free throws that work for you? Well, just free throws, free throws win games and championships. And it's just three points. And so I thought that if if I could, you know, be really, really, really good at something, I think I have a decent all-around game. Um, decent. I'm not going to say anything extraordinary yet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I knew that I, this is something that I could, you know, really make my own. And um, 
if I worked really hard at it, I could be de- I could be pretty good at it. And so I, I used to shoot free throws all the time. I mean, at Valpo High School, we had um, with Coach Thomas and Coach Liskey and then Coach Kuhlman coming in and Kimmel and those guys. They had us in the morning during the season shooting free throws before school started. Um, but even before that, you know, I had seminary um, back in high school all four years. And so um, sometimes, most of the time, me and my dad would be in the church after seminary um, right there in the morning before I even got to school. And we shoot free throws in the, in the church gym. And I'd work out in the church gym, you know, almost every day, um, anytime I could, and just shooting so many free throws. And then when I got to Carroll, uh, I had a certain role that I needed to play. Uh, we had you know, three or four All-Americans on the team. Um, a couple of them were getting actual NBA looks, you know. Uh, one of them, Ryan, a guy named Ryan Imhoff, he ended up the next year after I left um, winning National Play of the Year. And so we had guys on the team that, that were going to get the ball. And so I knew that I had I needed, had one job to do. I needed to, you know, hit open threes and hit my free throws <laughs> and play really good defense, you know, that Indiana-style defense and seal games for us. And so – um, just the, the free throw is such an essential part of the game, and if teams would make the free throws, they would win games. And so I'm just. Was there was there ever a question about you coming back? Was there a conversation that you had with Matt or Luke, or was it always understood that that there was a spot waiting for you when you were done? Oh yeah, we had that conversation before I left. They they asked me, so "Are you?" Are you wanting to come back and play? And I said, Yes, I, I don't want to come back and play and they said, Well, then we're gonna we're gonna keep that spot open for you. So you better be coming back and so I said, yes, Sir And so there wasn't a question, I don't think. Um and as soon as and they kept in touch with me throughout my mission, which I'm really really appreciate from them. They showed me a lot of love during my mission. Um, always keeping in touch, let me know how they were doing, um, asking me how I was doing. And, um, and of course, you know, I always ask me if I'm working out, um, <laughs> uh, and all that in shape, but yeah. And so have you been able to shoot a basketball since you've gotten back? Since I've gotten back, uh, only air shots in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't been able to, to get to the gym yet. Well, you've got a couple days left here and then, uh, then I hope someone gives you a key to the arc because, uh, I know that you're itching to get back. Yeah, oh yeah, I've been, yep, I've already started running, I actually worked out today, uh, went on a run, and uh, lifted with my father, and so, and then we got a little bench here in the house, so, yeah, I'm, I'm starting, I'm getting back into it, I like the groove, gotta get back into the swing of things, and then I'll be ready to roll by the time um, all the workouts and stuff, stuff start this year. Well, very good. Stephen Helm, thank you very much for taking the time to join me here on Union Street Hoops. And I know that whether they wear brown and gold or green and white, there's a lot of Valpo fans who are looking forward to seeing you uh, back in the arc, back on the uh, back in uniform here this fall. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back in Valpo.